Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 93 of the Flying Free Podcast. Today I have with me Becky and Rachel, and we are going to be talking about what I believe is an extremely important subject for all of us to understand. And the problem with it is that it's got two big words. And sometimes, at least for me, when I see big words, my brain just goes, and it goes offline. I just don't want to think about anything that has big words in it. So the two big words are complementarianism and egalitarianism. You know what the other problem is with those two words, you guys, is the isms. Yeah. When I see isms, I'm like, oh my gosh, that means like there's a whole package of stuff behind that. And mm-hmm. I don't even want to, like, let's not talk about that. But here's why we have to talk about it. Because those, if we don't understand what those two terms describe a huge issue in the Christian church today. And it's been an issue for the, you know, for, I don't know, 50, 60 years. And well, actually it's been a church issue for, since the beginning of the church. But, um, the reason that it's important in our discussion of emotional and spiritual abuse is that complementarianism implies that men, that men and women have different roles and that men are in leadership or have roles that are powering over women. And egalitarianism talks of, is basically means men all peoples being equal. And the problem when you have a, an ism that teaches that one kind of person is and should be in power over another kind of person. Whenever you have power and control over anybody, you have a, you have a, that is the definition of abuse. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing all of these, we're, we have seen in the last few years, the rise of the Me Too movement and the rise of the Church Too movement and the growing rise of Christian women in destructive marriages who are, there is a groundswell that is, it's like a tsunami that's rising up of women saying, whoa, I have been abused in my marriage for years and years and years. And I thought it was normal. Like I thought it was okay for men to, for my husband to treat me this way. And he firmly believes it's okay. And my church firmly believes it's okay. And it's not okay. It's not okay. It's not the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all those wonderful things. That's not the fruit that we're seeing in Christian marriages today. And so we have to figure out why not and what is wrong. Because here, here's the thing. The enemy comes in and he doesn't come in with this big, black, dark, you know, poof of smoke and everyone goes, oh, it's evil. Okay. He doesn't come in like that. He comes in with this beautiful feast on an amazing platter and it looks godly and holy and spiritual and it's super tasty going down and it feels great and everyone eats and drinks it and then everyone's puking their guts out in the toilet the next day. All right, that's what this, that's what this is. So let's take a look at that food, that feast and figure out what's, where's, let's find the poison in it so we can stop eating it, okay? So welcome to the podcast, girls. Hey. Hi. Good to be with you. All right. 
So first of all, I want to talk about what those terms mean and where they came from. And I don't, I'm not sure if any of you guys did have your own thoughts about that. I, I'm actually, if you didn't do any research on it, I'm actually curious, like how you would, um, what do you, what's just in your mind when you think of those words, complementarianism and egalitarianism? Well, so complementary means like you work together. You're like puzzle pieces. Right. And I, it's, it's regretful because it's a bit of a misnomer for how that, um, thought view actually takes shape. Um, it actually is, you know, it really focuses on the, the roles of men and women. And of course, emphasizes that power over role, as you said, Natalie. And so when you think about, um, like the natural progression of that is if you, if you, you know, put yourself in the egalitarian camp, then the argument from could be, well, you don't want to, you know, recognize and celebrate the differences between men and women. And I don't think that I've met any egalitarian who actually believes that men and women are just the same. Equality, like striving for equality does not mean that men and women have no differences. We're all just sexless, genderless beings. Um, That's not the, the, the worldview of egalitarianism. And if all you have to do is look at the the structure of male bodies and female bodies to to say yes they complement one another and that is beautiful, but um, there is uh, a lot of bad fruit that comes as you said Natalie from this power over dynamic, and as you've said also in pat in the past, um, a lot of marriages that are healthy that describe themselves as complementarianism complementarian, um, actually function as egalitarian marriages. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so if they're pointing to like, oh, well, we believe that and we, we, there's no abuse in our house. Well, actually in the day to day, you probably are not living out the worldview of complementarianism. Yes. I totally agree with that. So when I think of, um, when I was thinking about the topic, the first thing that comes to my mind is in my personal experience, I always run into one of three types of women. When you say this topic, well, four actually, because one would be, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) And then, but from there, you'll have women who have no idea, do not understand at all why we're even questioning it. They have a good marriage. They have a loving husband. They feel they work with their husband in a complementary role, not necessarily like, like Rachel was saying, a lot of times they, they actually function egalitarian, but they read it because egalitarian is that feminist thing. Egalitarian is that anti-Bible thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. They want to keep to the, the traditions and the doctrines of their beliefs. So they look at it and go, I don't, you know, they'll fight back with you, even though you actually agree they just don't want to question because they don't understand. They really have no clue. Then you've got the women who are in the abusive marriages in the complementary role, and they're either living in cognitive dissidence, you know, where they, they truly don't understand how this is affecting their life, or they're just too afraid to even approach it because they, I mean, I, when you were saying the word complementary and how it's, we complement each other. Um, I've also heard people say, well, it's because women complete the man 
Well, if you're telling me, number one, I am there to compliment him or to complete him, then I myself am an incomplete person. Did God create incomplete people? No, he created me fully complete, fully capable, fully able to care for myself, autonomy, which is like my favorite word, um, and complementarianism just takes that away. It makes you question your capacity. It makes you question your ability. It makes you, I mean, if you, if you really get down to the nuts and bolts. Now, if you're living in an egalitarian marriage and you call it complementary, you, again, you just don't even, you won't even understand. And that's why a lot of times if, if a woman, my best friend actually, um, would, would actually say she's complementarian, but she is a pastor, and so she, you, I don't get that. Right. Like she, but she, and when she defines it, she's actually defining egalitarianism. Okay. So and she's clearly confused about what complementarianism actually is. And I think that's, that's very widespread. And yeah. so I think women that, that Natalie, you minister to and help, I think they instantly understand it you know, when they start to come out of the fog and they realize, wow, this is a theology. This is a belief system that can nowhere be sub can nowhere be validated in the Bible, but it's an idea. It's a tradition that the church has held on to. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he, just for, just for people who don't know exactly what we're even talking about yet, complementarianism here is, here is the definition of complementarianism, or this is, I shouldn't say the definition. This is what they believe. They believe that men and women are created equal but are called to distinct and complementary roles in the church and the home with women in voluntary submission to the servant leadership of men. Now notice the little words that they put in there. Like instead of saying with women in submission to the leadership of men, they've put in two words in that definition to throw you, to basically to throw you off base. Exactly. One, the word is voluntary submission. So women are choosing to go in to be subservient. And then men are in leadership, but they're doing it in a servant way. Okay? It's so confusing. It's doublespeak. It's do totally doublespeak. It's absolutely ridiculous. So anyway, here's the rest of it. Women are free to teach and lead women and children, but are restricted from authoritative teaching and leadership roles over men. In some environments, women aren't allowed to lead in any way, and in others, they can have limited leadership under the umbrella of men. So let me just tell you how this plays out, how, just one practical example. In the church that, um, it used to be John Piper's church, in the, it, they, ex, they excommunicated me. They, during the process of my trying to extricate myself from my abusive marriage in that church, um, I was going to them for help they were, had decided that they were going to now take a stand against abuse and they were going to bring in some professionals who were advocates in the field of abuse and bring them in to train their leadership on how to, you know, combat this terrible thing in the church. Okay. Well, it all, that all sounds great so far, but one of the people, one of the top leaders at that time in this uh, top advocates with experience and with uh, education and the whole nine yards was Leslie Vernick. And they had originally invited her to come and do part of the training. And then they 
changed their minds because she didn't have a penis. That is the only reason they couldn't have her stand. I'm sorry for saying that word on a podcast, but that's, that's the ugly fact of it. They couldn't have a woman stand up in front of, because the, the leadership of course were men and she would be standing up in front of them in a teaching role. And we can't have that. So it didn't matter that she had more experience. Well, she had all of the experience. They had no experience. She had experience, knowledge, education. Um, she had written several books on it. She was already speaking in other churches on it. None of that mattered that she had this beautiful gift that she could have offered this leadership team. That didn't matter. The only thing, the only criteria for them that made any difference at all was a lack of a body part. Now that is reprehensible. And that's happening in our church. That is, they are, that ch particular church is complementarianism. Obviously it, it's huge on complementarianism because the pastor who, um, of that church for many years, John Piper, he is one of the, he was, I think, I'm not sure if he still is, one of the heads of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, which is the primary evangelical Christian organization that promotes the complementarian view. They actually invented and coined the term, and they, all of their writings and teachings online and offline promote and encourage this. So, of course, that church is a hornet's nest of this teaching, and you, and there are so many people that have come out of that church just completely beat up and demolished in their personal and spiritual lives because of this teaching. And, and this teaching, it, it undermines the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a profound level Indeed. in that it destroys women and children, and it destroys men because it strips them of their God-given ability to actually be like Jesus Christ. Absolutely. It strips the world of the answers to so many problems. Do you, could you imagine if every woman was able to do what she was gifted to do we could have a cure to breast cancer right now. Right. We, we could have starvation eradicated. Like, we don't know. But women, and so while you're talking, I was thinking um, anyone who's listening and, is, and does, it, this idea is new to them, and maybe they go to a mega church where this is not a problem. They have a female pastor. Maybe they've never heard of this. And I think the first question would be like, why are women gravitating like volunteers? Why would a woman do that? And I thought, well, I'll tell you why I did it because I had an abusive marriage and I thought this might be the solution since my abuser had already convinced me I was the problem, right? So a natural next step would be to grasp onto complementarianism because that would definitely, it's spiritual. It'll definitely fix the marriage next. And so yeah. I, I know that's why I ended up um, believing it fully. I drank all the Kool-Aid in the, in the cup yep. and then asked for seconds. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but what I didn't realize is it, it only enabled my abuser even more. Yes. Um, 
I want to, I want to say one more thing about servant leadership. Um, I am a CEO of a company. I have a lot of employees. Um, am I a nice person? Absolutely. Would I use the word servant leadership? Sure. We can throw that word out. Why not? Right. I want, I I do want my employees. I, I make it a goal that my employees when they're done or as they work for me, they're increasing their skill level. So when they're gone from me, they are better than when they came. Great. That's great. Not many companies do that, but at the end of the day, I'm still the boss. I can still fire. I can still tell you what to do. You are not equal to me. Does that make sense? Like you can say servant leader all day long, but that does not change the fact that the man can tell the woman and she has to obey. Exactly. The idea of complementarianism. Boom. Boom. And here's the thing. If both the man and the woman in a marriage partnership are following Jesus, I don't believe that this issue comes up where one person is needing to take control and direct. Right. It's a, it's a togetherness. It's a, we're on the same page and we're both running hard after Jesus. We're not staring at each other in a power struggle. Yeah. Right. Like, or exactly. just, yeah. the, and the, the imagery they, they, they uh, use is like you're on a 50-yard uh, dash and your husband is next to you and you're trying to beat him. And instead <laughs> of saying, no, you're in a relay race and you're both working hard to get the part done that you can do best. Yes. Right. right. Exactly. There's a couple it, of, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, it, I was just thinking about like the functioning as egalitarian. It's, if we consistently look at men and women as, as they're in these really strict roles, it doesn't leave room for the natural giftings that the Bible talks about. God gives his church, the spiritual gifts of, you know, um, whatever that may be, it's different for every person. But if we act like there's very defined, um, um, strict ideas about what each person looks like, um, it just, it crowds all that out. And I think that's a huge disservice to the church. I'll give you an example of watching that happen in a church once. This was uh, many years ago and the church was, um, it was a country church. It was kind of small and uh, they needed somebody to do the books because obviously a secretary, now a woman could be a secretary, but she could not do the books, the finances, right? That's a man's job. So they looked around and there was a woman accountant at the church. She ended up leaving. <laughs> she didn't last very long because typically professional women do not make it in these types of churches. Um, and, and so there was a guy there and he was a bank teller. <laughs> oh, well, now he should do the finances because he is a male and he's a bank teller. Forget this woman who is 20 years older and has been doing accounting for more than 20 years, working for a corporation. No, we're going to have the guy who is a teller. There's nothing wrong with being a teller, but a teller does not necessarily know how to do bookkeeping. Right. And, and that I just, I, I don't know why I vividly remember that thinking. Yep. That's a perfect how example. stupid. Yeah, it is stupid. And it's not biblical because where, I mean, where I'm sure they would have all sorts of texts from the Bible to justify that, but that is more influenced by culture and 1950s misogyny than right. anything found in the Bible. 
Right. In fact, now that you br- there's two things that you guys have brought up. One is the 1950s misogyny. The, the whole idea of complementarianism was a reaction to the feminism that was rising up in the middle of the ni- of the 20th century, and some and some of the radical feminism, um, the bra burning, all of that, and abortion, that kind of thing. And then, so the church is like, oh, you know what? We can't we have to like squelch this movement. And so, but we can't do it. We also can't do it in a way that makes it seem like, you know, that makes it look like we're actually doing what we're actually doing, which is basically putting men in power over women. So let's, let's craft carefully craft words together to create a smoke screen that will squelch feminism, which by the way, not all feminism is bad. In fact, if it wasn't for feminism, we right. would not be able to vote this year in the election. Right. There are, there's so many things that we would not be able to do. The, the word feminism, just like comp, uh, egalitarianism, just means that we're equal. That's it. Right. We have the same rights as everyone else. Well, and so, the problem is that there are some, there is a brand of feminism that actually believes, they actually believe so that, so that women need right. to be over men. So like, mm-hmm. we're not, you know, I'm right. not. But that's, that's on both fact. spectrums. You have the evangelical Christians that are showing up at, uh, funerals for veterans, you know, like you've got both, you've got crazy on both sides. You will always have crazy on both sides. The problem (laughs) is it seems like there is a a much larger percentage of churches, even if they don't formally come to a conclusion on what they believe, they function and they operate in the complementarian role, which means that one out of every three women sitting in their pew who is being abused will never get help. Yeah. And it takes courage to be able to look at something, you know, as big of a word as feminism and take a nuanced approach instead of just dismissing it whole cloth um, because there are radical elements that are, of course, wrong. Right. Um, Radical elements of egalitarianism. Right. You're right. Right. And there's egal. And then the same with complementarianism where women can't, uh, well, honestly, the most extreme complementarian is the, um, the Muslims that where the wife has to cover her head. Right. Right. I mean, if you want to take that philosophy and that worldview to the nth degree, that's where you'd go. You'd go there and further and people do. And, and here's the problem too, in the homes where the men are the, you know, the quote unquote servant leaders, they are, that's what's happening in the homes on a fundamental level is they're taking that philosophy. And when you live it out on the, on in its basis level, what you've got is a terrible, terrible recipe for abuse and neglect and entitlement. And it's like a, it's like a Petri dish for narcissism really. Mm -hmm. And then the, and then children born into that environment they grow up and they either they grow up to either become narcissists themselves or they grow up to become um, victims, future victims. Are you a woman of faith who also happens to be divorced? I've been developing a brand new program that will give you the tools you need to manage your thoughts and emotions, grow your self-confidence so that you can take risks and do things you never dreamed possible, 
and so you can build happy, healthy relationships with other people. Did you know none of this good stuff depends on your outward circumstances or your past? You can generate the life you've dreamed of all by yourself, and I'm going to teach you how through online classes and transformational coaching. Are you ready to take your new life to the next level and fly higher? Learn more and get on the waiting list at joinflyinghigher.com. I want to I want to read a couple verses, um, and I want you to think about these the words of these verses in light of this idea of men powering over women. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all how, now, how are we supposed to walk worthy of this calling? With humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. It doesn't say bearing with men in love or bearing with women in love. It says bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So there's lots of ones and alls, but there's no division between certain, you know, between sneeches who have stars on their bellies and sneeches who don't have stars on their bellies, okay? This is what the church is. The church is a unified family with a father and then brothers and sisters. And this is a healthy a healthy church is going to exemplify this humility, this patience, love, unity, and hope. And God is our father over this church. Now, I don't see any indication anywhere that some of the siblings are supposed to have power over the others based on gender or race or socioeconomic status at all. Here's the other verse, and then I'm going to ask you guys about this. The other verse I wanted to read is Galatians 2.2. 2. There is neither Jew nor Greek... Now that's just a it's an overall idea that there it doesn't matter what nationality you are, what part of the world you come from. There is neither slave nor free. Again, it doesn't matter what your status is economically. Um, there is no male and female. It doesn't matter what your gender is, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians two two. That means that as a husband, this does not. We don't throw out all of the verses about brothers and sisters. Once we get married, it's not like, oh, well, now you're married. So now all those verses go out the window. The whole scope of the Bible that teaches all of these beautiful one another's, that gets all thrown out the window. And now your Bible consists of five verses in the New Testament that talk about marriage relationships. I don't know how many verses this is, but it's a very much a handful, okay? And those are the only verses that are about you. And we're going to take those verses and kind of twist them up a little bit so that we can present this idea that actually men are actually over women in those marriages. That is not, that's not um, the direction that I think we want to go with this because when you, and, but it is the direction that people do go. And when they go there, that's when you have all of this pain and agony. You don't have love, you have hate. You have fear. You have hate on the part of the people who think that they're better than the other people 
And then you have fear and sometimes hate on the part of those who are underneath. And that is not the fruit of the spirit. So I wanted to bring this back to something we were talking about actually before the podcast started, where we were talking about roles and how I think Rachel, was it you that said people will say, oh, well, you know, that we can't have a whole bunch of chiefs in the Indian village. We just need to have one chief. And so like, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, I'm going to, can I go back to those verses real quick? Oh, sure. Um, I, w- I want to tell you my experience for those who probably experience this at their church. They would actually say, no, we fully agree. There is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. There is no male or female. We are all equal. They will say that till they're blue in the face, but then they will turn around and say, but being equal does not define role. Right. And so and so the problem with that is you've got one of two problems. First, I think I really think that there are men that walk around saying this stuff that believe it. It's cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. You can't say you're equal but you're not equal. You just can't say it. I'm sorry, but you can't say my role is the owner but I'm not the owner. Your role is a manager but you're not the manager. Does that does that make yeah. sense? Like, so it's, yes. There's this cognitive. So they will tell you, absolutely, we agree, absolutely on all kindness. That's why when a man is making the decision, we ask that he be gentle. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's their answer. So so part of part of the problem is when a woman does go and says, "Wait a minute." This scripture says I'm equal. And they say, absolutely, you're equal. You have just as much value and worth as every person on this earth. But God had specific roles. Now, first of all, you can't find that anywhere in scripture. That's just totally pulled out of the air. They're taking scripture and twisting it. But they're really relying on this tradition. And, uh, and they'll, I mean, they'll go back to Adam and Eve. To, to support the man's in charge yeah. um, and, and twist that story. But um, the, the other one is, you know, either it's cognitive dissidence or um, they truly know that it's not the same thing and they're just, you know, wanting power. Yeah. So yeah. I was the one that said the chief in Indians and that was something um, I, I must have been in a lot of loony churches or maybe this is just the South, but um, they use all of these little, you know, analogies, um, you, you can only have one chief, everyone else needs to be Indians. And so, every, and, and I think Rachel, you were saying something about, um, def- they're using worldly positions and worldly ideas to define a Christian theology. Yes. And that happens a lot. And I, um, I wish that the church in America would be repentant about the way we have allowed our culture to replace actual theology from scripture. And we, I don't, we're not aware of how it infects our, how our worldview and how the culture that we live in affects how we interpret the Bible. And we don't have a good way of reading the Bible, even to understand the culture it's coming from. We apply it like it's coming from our culture. It's really twisted up. And once you start to study, um, you know, the, the Greek culture that it emerged from and what was going on in the context, um, 
it starts to make a lot more sense where these things were coming from, you know, where the, some of the difficult verses like in, in t- uh, first Timothy and in Corinthians about women being silent, it, you know, there's not always the most straightforward answers, but there are answers about why these hard verses are present in the Bible. And there's a and, context to them. Yes. Yes. And, but we oftentimes just want to take it, you know, one verse, which was never the way these, these, um, these, this scripture was supposed to be read. They were, you know, especially the epistles of, of Paul and others were meant to be read aloud in its entirety. Um, so we, but we take these one verses and we use it like we prop it up. Like it's this command. It's a new Bible. (laughs) Right. Without trying to understand what it actually meant to the people who it was sent to. Right. Right. And there are a ton of amazing books that some of us have read just trying to, you know, deprogram from all the propaganda that we grew up with. And those books have been out there and they continue to be written by theologians. But the problem is that people who are stuck in the, in churches that are immersed in this kind of propaganda, they're being told not to read those books. Right. Why do you think that is? Like, why, why do we have to be so afraid of looking, of, of educating ourselves? Because we might a, change our minds. That's why. I, I've got a great story this week. This, this gal uh, texted me and um, I'm studying uh, certain topics, the brain and, and other things. And, and she started talking about some of the same topics and she goes, but every time she said like where, where she read something, she would preface it with, but he's a Christian author or, and I said, you know what? My absolute favorite to read about the topic of neurology is an atheist. And the reason I like reading him, why I like listening to him is because it challenges me to overcome his objections to a God. It has made me so much more strong in my belief in God. And I'm not afraid. Like, what what can his opinion do to me? Like, am I so weak-minded that I can't, I don't have the ability to take logic and, and discern? But I think the problem is, there is so much fear in churches. Yes. First of all, if it's not, if it's not affecting your daily life, you don't have an abusive husband. You don't have maybe an abusive family member. There's absolutely no reason for you to question it. And that's the sad part is that's how we determine what we believe, what works the best and feels good, not what is actually true. I mean, the church would say, no, that's how the world lives. That's actually how the church lives. Exactly. So that's how everyone, that's how everyone knee jerk operates. So exactly. whether you, whether Christians want to admit it or not, but those who will admit it are willing then to take a look at what, at what's underneath all of that. And, and also, Here's an example. Go, do I really want to keep, do I really want to continue to believe this? It, what, what is, what's the out, the logical outcome of this kind of belief? And maybe there's something more that I could learn out there. So, so this, this is, um, this, this would be like the conversation you'd have with a Christian. She's super skinny and there's a plate of brownies and I have diabetes and the plate of brownies is there. And she says, the brownies are good for you. And I say, no, they're not. And she is diehard. They are absolutely good for you. Look, I'm not heavy. I don't gain weight when I eat them. And then science, she pulls out the box and shows the ingredients and the scientific proof that it's bad. And if she's an extreme Christian, she's still going to hold fast to the brownie is not bad. It's good for you. <laughs> yeah, but but it, 
you know what I mean? It's, it, that's, it's the most simplest analogy I could think of, but that's how the church operates. Um, it, as long as it's not bothering them, as long as it's not an issue they have to deal with in their life, we're not going to question the status quo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to, oh, go ahead. No, no, you, you go. I was going to wrap it up. So when you're done, I'll probably do that. Well, okay. So uh, this is a good thing to, to wrap up with, but, you know, going back to that scripture that you read, um, Natalie, the theme th- woven throughout that, and I think it's mentioned even once is unity and unity is a command in scripture. And Jesus prayed, um, in the garden for us, um, in John 17, uh, that we would be unified. Future believers would be unified and it's, it's throughout the epistles. And yet we don't really talk about that. We don't, we don't, you know, make giant movements and like, we're not always striving for unity. In fact, if you look at the fruit, a lot of times it's the opposite because we're, um, a lot of times the church is pointing fingers at one another about how they're not, you know, following what their idea of, you know, um, especially in, in gender roles, they, um, elevate it to, an issue of salvation or like, if you're not doing this, then you aren't a Christian or you're just completely wrong. And therefore you're shunned and canceled. Um, and that is the opposite of what we are called to do. So we have allowed these issues to tear us apart. And that is, that is sinful. That is sinful. We are commanded to be unified as the body of Christ. And we cannot do that when there is pride Um, and certainty that our way is the only way because we read it on that page in scripture and um, there's no more room for conversation or looking into what it really could mean, et cetera. That's, you know, that's the end of the discussion. So we have a lot of, of, of um, repentance to do, I think as a corporate body, um, especially in America about how we've approached this issue. Yeah. So, and actually that leads up to actually exactly what I was going to say, and that's this, you may be, people who are listening, you may be thinking, well, what can I do to change this? Some of you are, some of you are going, whoa, I didn't even know any of this before. And, but it totally makes sense. Some of you are, have, well, I was going to say some of you are already tuned out, but then you wouldn't be listening anymore. Right. Some of you already turned us off. Um, others of you are thinking, well, what can I do to make a difference? Like, how can we turn this around? I need my church to, I know if you, if you're anything like me, you're probably thinking, well, I got to tell my church and then we got to change and we got to be better at this and we have to change our theology and blah, 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 blah. Here's the thing. You can't in and of yourself, you cannot go out and change your church. If you, in fact, if you do try to go and, you know, and say, go listen to this podcast, they're going to, they're going to probably attack you and people, church, you know, church organizations, generally speaking, are very entrenched in what they believe. They're not going to all of a sudden go, oh, thank you for the, all of that insight. Wow. We never knew that before. We're going to completely change now. They're not going to do that. People don't, people in organizations don't change until they come to the end of themselves, until they're completely demolished. Like if a bomb goes off in your house and destroys your house, then you change. When you rebuild the house, the house is going to look probably look different than what it looked like before the bomb went off. So until the bomb goes off in the church, it's not going to, nothing's going to change. And I'm not saying go make bombs, but what I am saying and what you can do is that you can change you. And I don't want you to underestimate the power of personal change 
to having a, a major impact on the world. You may not see that impact in your lifetime, but as you change, there's going to be a ripple effect in the people around you. They might, they may not, let's say that you, let's, let's take this analogy, like a, a, a drop of paint on a, a drop of watercolor paint on a piece of paper. It's very, very concentrated in color on the first place where it's dropped onto the paper. As it spreads out, that color sort of dissipates and you know fades. You get a more faded, but it still spreads out, okay? And someone else that you've spread out to, they might all of a sudden catch on fire and change in a drastic way the way you did, and they're another drop on the paper. And pretty soon, you've got a paper over time, this takes time, but over time, you've got a piece of paper that's very, very colorful, and it's, and it's very different from the white piece of paper that it was before. So <clears throat> I just want to encourage you that um, even though you're one little synapsis in the universe of, this, of time and space, your synapsis counts, your little neural connection counts, and make it count. You work on you. You change the way you believe, you decide how you want to change in your, not just in your beliefs, but it's going to change how you feel and that's going to change what you do and how you show up in your world. And that's going to create the results that you have in your life. And it's going to have a ripple effect on everyone else's life. And that is how I really believe that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel, it's like, it's like, um, <clears throat> Sorry, I'm losing my voice. The gospel, it takes, it's like a piece of yeast that starts small and then pretty soon it leavens the whole loaf of bread. And it's like a mustard seed that starts small, but it grows this big, huge tree that shelters animals and birds. So the Bible's full of this concept. And I think we can wrap up this um, session with that concept and go forth and conquer. That's it. That's all I have for you guys. Um, did you? I, I don't mean to cut you guys off, Rebecca and Rachel. Did you want to say one last thing, or should we just end right here? No, that was beautiful. All right. The gospel is always the solution. It is love. It always comes down to love. I always tell my kids when they're in Sunday school class, if they if if they get asked a hard question, or in Bible class, they, a couple of them go to a private school, just say God or love, and the answer will be correct. All right. All right. With that, thank you so much for listening. If you like this podcast, go to Apple iTunes, leave a rating and a review. It helps our podcast get shown to more eardrums or get heard by more eardrums. And that's what we want. We want more women to be set free. So thanks for listening. And until next time, fly free.